Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government defends billions in new spending to respond to the pandemic. I don't think any Canadian will regret our spending on things like rapid tests, on things like therapeutics. It is also money to help continue the support that some businesses and workers need. The Liberals moved to virtual caucus meetings and reduced their numbers in the House because of the Omicron variant. On the government side of the House, I can assure that uh, we will have physical distancing present. Uh, we're encouraging uh, physical distancing to be taking place uh, everywhere. I think that the advice that we're getting from public health officials is clear. Uh, and so I'll leave it to the other parties to decide what's going to be happening on the other side of the House. And Jugmeet Singh says the NDP would back federal intervention in a court challenge to Quebec's Bill 21. I've always said that's discriminatory. And now is the moment to be very clear and say, if this case gets to the federal level, then the federal government should support the three million Quebecers who are opposed to this law and are opposed to discrimination. The federal government should support the Quebecers who are fighting this discrimination in court. It's Wednesday, December 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Let's talk about the fiscal update that Christia Freeland presented yesterday. And I, I think there's a there's widespread acknowledgement that this is a much different economic update than than one she might have presented a few weeks ago, because there is once again so much uncertainty because of the Omicron variant. We're going to talk more about the specific consequences of that around travel and other things in a moment. But what did you make of the update? Because uh, I think Christia Freeland probably felt very much handcuffed by the COVID situation. Yeah, you know, it's got to be very hard to plan, to budget, uh, or, or to even forecast um, major important issues like federal revenues and federal spending, given the continuing uncertainty over the pandemic, which is just dragging on and on. And, uh, you know, as you alluded to, is, is, is finding another, another peak and another area of worry. And, uh, you know, so the feds have had to put, you know, another $30 billion aside for, you know, the, to deal with Omicron, to deal with the continuing pandemic. I mean, they have to spend billions of dollars on uh, rapid testing. They still need to buy more vaccines. It just goes on and on and on. And um, I don't know of any type of government, any ideology uh, that would get you around it. And if you look around the world, there are places which have just said, well, fine, we're, we can't deal with this. And as a result, uh, COVID-19 is running wild through those populations. And there's other areas where people have really clamped down completely and, and tried to tough it out. It, it's So what to do? There's no formula. There's no playbook. And there still isn't one. I don't mean that the liberals have to have the magic insight to have that playbook. But there still isn't a playbook that's a reliable predictor of how this thing is going to end or how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Christian Freeland did say that um, it, obviously it's going to make it tough to predict the speed of economic recovery. Um, the other thing that she talked about that I thought was interesting was that it's going to take years to fix the housing market. Um, and 
there has been a lot of evidence that Canada's house prices have, have increased faster than many other countries in the world, even as they've been increasing quickly in those other countries. Um, and I think this is, this is sort of a classic challenge for government because um, th- there are many people who have benefited from that. Many Canadians have won the housing lottery, and uh, so it presents a political challenge if you're going to slow that down or reverse it in any way. Yeah, you know, this issue around housing prices took years to develop. Um, You know, during the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, there was fairly slow and and reasonably predictable uh, increase in in real estate values and things like that. And and gradually over time, this accelerated. Now, you know, there's, I don't know for sure, and I don't know that anyone has got a real handle on it yet, but obviously... Some of this has come from money coming into the country, uh, yet at the same time, I remember many years of governments bemoaning the fact there wasn't enough foreign investment clicking around in our economy and that it was hard to get economic growth when we were relying so heavily on our own resources. So, yeah, it is going to take years for this to work its way through. And I think any government would be extremely reluctant to go out and just try to clamp down on growth of housing prices or uh, real estate prices to, to look more broadly, uh, you know, in the face of the exact thing you're talking about, that there is a large cohort of Canadians, a large group of Canadians who have benefited and their families have benefited from this. And uh, so you'd have to tread very carefully. And I don't think um, I've seen anybody come up with yet uh, a concrete series of steps that could be used to take the froth off the top of the housing market and restore it to something close to, you know, an ordinary inflationary pressure. So uh, it is another issue, and it's, but it is, again, it's the cost of groceries, the cost of fueling your car, the cost of your electricity coming into your house. All of these things are, are pocketbook issues that strike all Canadians. And um, and that governments have to be hyper aware of or they'll pay the price because people do expect governments to have solutions for these things, even though solutions are hard to come by. Yeah. All right. Let's turn back to the Omicron variant and and the rising number of covid cases in Canada and how governments might respond to that. Uh, we understand that the Prime Minister had a conversation with premiers last night uh, and there there are reports that the government is soon going to advise Canadians once again against non-essential travel to foreign countries. Uh, so are we on the verge of another another uh, series of limitations on, on our movement? Uh, it sure looks that way, Mark. You know, and uh, I, don't, I don't know where it's going to go, but, um, you know, restrictions on movement did work to... Uh, slow the growth of the first few waves of COVID-19. It is basically a tried-and-true method of stemming the spread of these highly contagious uh, diseases. So, you know, I I do think there will be some further restrictions on that, although at the same time, Mark, I think Canadians have, you know, kind of gotten fed up with it. Uh, You know, and a heck of a lot of us, I mean, I have a family member getting on a plane today, which, you know, it's that's a call that people have to make. But 
the pressures that are on there are severe. I mean, people haven't seen their family members sometimes for a couple of years. And, um, you know, there are tremendous uh, pressures on people to want to get out there and move around. I mean, I don't have a lot of sympathy for somebody who just wants to go somewhere sunny because they don't like the cold. I mean, come on, it's Canada. But there are very, very severe family issues that people are facing around the country, and they do want to uh, travel and to see their loved ones. So um, this has been incredibly hard, and it's a tough message for the provinces and for Ottawa to have to put out there. But uh, I, I do see more restrictions, at least recommended restrictions coming. And, and that's going to be tough on all the travel industry, too, because they've got to figure out how to implement these things on the ground. And that's proven to be really, really tough. Yeah. All right. Finally, Dan, uh, let's talk about uh, the, the potential court challenge to Bill 21. And Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, is saying that he would support federal intervention into that, into that court challenge. Uh, this is this is obviously a delicate issue for federal politicians. Uh, there are many who feel that the government should intervene, should speak out about this, um, and that it's there's a basic issue of human rights here. And there are others who say, well, you don't want to wade into a provincial matter from a federal perspective. So uh, what do you think about that? And what what are you hearing in terms of what the prime minister's thinking is on this? Well, you know, obviously all the major politicians and political parties have walked extremely carefully on this because it's a very emotive issue in Quebec. Um, and, in the, you know, when you're talking about abstractions like legal jargon and constitutional rights and, uh, you know, matters like that that people don't deal with in their everyday lives, it, it makes it hard to discuss it from a practical political manner. But now that this young teacher... And, uh, you know, in eastern Quebec, uh, Fatima Anvari has been told she can't teach in the classroom because she is wearing a hijab. Uh, you know, that has personalized and, and brought the whole issue home. It's embodied in this one person whose rights have clearly, according to the way most of us in Canada understand rights, whose rights have been violated by, uh, you know, by the province's uh, law, which has sat on the books now for two years and more. So um, I, I I think the fact that Jagmeet Singh has come out and made a, a much stronger statement at last, so to speak, is very significant. But, you know, you're going to have to have other major political parties saying the same thing or similar, because that provides color, cover, I'm sorry, to actually approach the government of Quebec, and it provides potential cover for a federal lawsuit against Bill 21. So... You know, if, if one party wants to go and stick its neck out on its own, it's it's more political peril. But if uh, the federal parliament of Canada uh, sees it that way, then at least they can go and have the have the discussion that has to be had. Uh, you know, Quebec. All of us, I think, Mark, see the slippery slope that this represents. If if Quebec can do this, then other provinces can do other things which contravene the charter. So. Uh, you know, this has been sleeping a little bit outside of Quebec as an issue, but it's time that it came to the fore, and it's time all the major parties, and especially the Liberal Party, because they're in government, come up with a coherent strategy on this and to uh, and to get in there and defend the rights of Canadians that were hard won in the first place. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster, 
Dan Legere. This economic and fiscal update provides Canadians with a transparent report of our nation's finances. It also includes targeted investments that will ensure we have the weapons we need to finish the fight against COVID-19. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues inflation worries may explain the absence of many election commitments in the fiscal update. Iveson writes, The Liberals are aware that the tolerance for debt has its limits. Canadians want to know that spending is under control. With interest rates set to rise next year, Christia Freeland was obliged to acknowledge the threat of elevated inflation. That may explain why so many election pledges are absent from an update already bulging with big-ticket items. To have the bank tightening monetary policy while the Liberals let rip with stimulus spending may have proven too much. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Omicron casts a long, dark shadow over Ottawa's fiscal plan. The Star writes, If Christia Freeland had delivered her fall fiscal update a month ago, even three weeks ago, it would have felt a lot different. It really seemed that the pandemic was finally easing. But that was then, and this is now, with Omicron on our tail like the variant from hell. We're clearly no longer near the end of the pandemic, but still somewhere in the midst of it, with yet another wave ahead. No one knows how bad it will be, but it's coming fast, in all likelihood faster than governments can react. At National Newswatch, Ben Carr argues Bill 21 limits the positive power borne by our differences. Carr writes, In a world where divisiveness, fractions, and hostility are dominating the way in which we live among each other, our government should be focused on finding ways to celebrate our differences as means to unify, not politically motivated ideologies that stand in the way of it. Bill 21 is not only harmful to the quality of education that the Quebec system will be capable of providing to its children, but it sits counter to the very identity that most Canadians hold dearest. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will virtually attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. He will also meet with the Premier of the Northwest Territories and make an early learning and child care announcement. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will also hold a news conference in Ottawa. The Minister for Women, Marcy Ian, will announce the launch of the employer application period for the Canada Summer Jobs 2022 program. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce investments in Hay West 2021. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.